Welcome to Difference Makers, where we bring you profound and enlightening conversations with remarkable people who make a difference through innovative and inspiring charity work. On this podcast, you'll hear the incredible stories of real-life Difference Makers, learn about the worthy causes and charities they support, and discover how charity work changes lives for the better. You know, we have over 150 volunteers now from 18 different countries. And I mean, they're doctors and teachers and software engineers and moms and pilots and artists. And we're all together united with the one purpose to change the lives of hurting kids. I'm Al Desaris, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with founder and chief executive officer of Love Without Boundaries, Amy Eldridge, who's making a difference by providing hope and healing to orphaned and vulnerable children. Well, hello, Amy. Welcome to Difference Makers. So happy for you to be here today and really excited for you to share the work of Love Without Boundaries with our community. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So as you know, I learned about you and your work through a mutual friend of ours, And you and I had the opportunity to speak a few months back, and I got to learn more about Love Without Boundaries and was blown away by all the extraordinary work you all are doing. It's truly incredible, both in volume and in impact. Your organization is making a difference for so many children in so many different locations around the world. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe you can start by giving us a bird's eye view of the work. Then we'll dig a little deeper so our community can learn about the particulars of Love Without Boundaries. Sure, sure. So Love Without Boundaries, we're an international children's charity, and our mission statement says that we provide healing, education, and refuge to vulnerable children worldwide. And basically, in a nutshell, we try and bring a feeling of love and belonging to children who are living in hard places. And that looks different in every country. So say in uh, China, where there are so many orphanages, um, you know, we work with orphan children to make sure that they get the medical care or the support that they need. Um, In Cambodia, it looks completely different when you're working in a rural village. So we might do um, a school program or a nutritional program since malnutrition is so high there. So what we try and do is work in partnership with local citizens on the ground to change the lives of children. And every program is run by people who grew up in that country because I feel like the the best solutions to solving the challenges that children face are developed in that local community. So I think that's what makes us a little bit unique is that um, we don't have foreigners on the ground in other countries. Every single project is run by local citizens on the ground. So you've developed relationships with other nonprofits in these different countries across the world that you're working in. That's right. And so in some locations, what has started is working with, say, one or two people that 
like if I use Cambodia as an example, so we met this remarkable man who was so burdened by the fact that in a lot of the most remote villages, none of the children were going to school or learning to read. So he had started this school on a mat where he would take a tarp out into the village and literally have the children sit on a tarp and he would teach them on the weekends. Um, And so we came alongside him And after we had partnered together for a while, we realized it was a perfect fit. And so we actually then registered Love Without Boundaries Cambodia and actually built a school in that village and started an entire program. So we're always looking for people on the ground in different countries who have great ideas and know their communities and know what would make a difference. And then we come alongside them with the resources to make those dreams a reality. Wow. So this organization, correct me if I'm wrong, you've been in existence for about 20 years. Is that correct? Yeah, 17. So we started in 2003. So we'll have our our 18th anniversary very soon. That's wonderful. And the example you gave is one of many because you are working in multiple countries across the world. According to your site and some research that I was doing, it looks like you're in China, Cambodia, India, and Uganda? That's correct. So those are the countries that we actually have formal registration and formal branches, which then allows us to do, you know, a whole myriad of projects in those countries. Um, We have also done one-off projects in some other areas as well, but those ongoing, really life-impacting projects are in those four countries right now. And what drew you specifically to those four countries? How did that I guess, come, <laughs> how did that come to be that it was the, the primary work is taking place in those countries? So it all started in 2003 in China. And it began because I'm an adoptive parent and I had adopted from China. I had five biological children and then adopted my youngest daughter, Anna. And there was just this this one day that when she was three years old, she started asking me all these questions that I didn't have the answers to. Simple, basic things that any child should have the right to know. But because she had been abandoned and didn't have any of that early history, I couldn't give her that information. Um, and so I just decided that as her mom, I needed to go to China and and visit her orphanage and see what I could find out. And so everything began with China mm-hmm. because on that, that first visit, um, one of the orphanage staff took me to the back corner of the orphanage and showed me a little boy who was dying of heart disease. And he was so blue. And I just felt my own heart breaking in too, thinking that they didn't have the resources to get that little boy surgery. So I came home and tried to go back to my normal life, but it was just impossible because I couldn't get that little boy's face out of my mind. And I knew that I was the only one who had seen him short of the people in the in the orphanage themselves. So... Um, It was through helping that little boy get the heart surgery that he needed that I realized 
that it, it's possible to take that leap of faith and say that you're just going to do something you've never done in your whole life before. Like I had knew nothing about how to arrange heart surgery for a child, but you know, I dove in with some wonderful friends, rallied a whole bunch of people to get together and raise that fund. And so once that surgery was done, it was like, oh my goodness, this is possible. We can make a difference, you know, in other kids' lives. So all of our original projects were set up in China, like our school program, foster care, nutrition. Um, and then once we saw the success that we had working with orphan children in China, we thought, wow, our name's Love Without Boundaries. We really need to live that out, live out our name and take these projects then to children in other locations. Wow. <laughs> this really grew organically from a very <laughs> inspirational moment. And kudos to your daughter, Anna, for asking those questions and getting you uh, motivated and interested to go to China and to get answers to her questions, which led to you meeting this little boy and inspiring you to create this remarkable organization you run today. Well, and the amazing thing to me was that through the adoption community, which was all new to me since I had not adopted before, seeing that same feeling in so many other people of, you know, I love my child so much. It hurts to think that they lived in an orphanage and maybe didn't have enough food or didn't have access to medical care. And so as people heard about those initial heart surgeries that we set up, contacting me saying, how do I get involved? And that that is what I've realized about this so much is that, you know, this world is filled with the most compassionate and caring people who want to make a difference. And that was very important to me with Love Without Boundaries because Right after I'd adopted my daughter, I had actually contacted a couple of charities working in China saying, hey, I'd love to get involved. I'd love to do something. And, you know, they just said, oh, there's really nothing that, that you could do short of raise money. And so from the very beginning, when we were setting this up, I wanted it to be a place where people could join together as a community and all work together to make a difference. And so, you know, we have over 150 volunteers now from 18 different countries. And I mean, they're doctors and teachers and software engineers and moms and pilots and artists. And we're all together united with the one purpose to change the lives of hurting kids. And you know, it's been interesting because I've had um, some people in different business schools say that our model absolutely should not work because so much of the work is done completely by volunteers, but somehow it does. And we've been able to build this very authentic community of people who just truly want to make a difference. And so I love that about it. It's like we're changing kids' lives, but we're also changing people's lives who come into the organization and can know that they're truly making a difference. You know, they're educating kids and arranging heart surgeries, um, all pretty much from the their homes in front of their computers. You have an army of volunteers. I do. 
who were rallied to support you, your passion, your drive, based on this experience to save this one little boy. It's it's an amazing story. I I mean, this is why I created Difference Makers, to connect with people like you and to share these incredible stories with the world. And, you know, the beauty of this is people do want to be a part of things like this. And, you know, we don't hear about these things all the time or very often, really, when you turn on the daily news. But these stories exist and there are so much good in the world. And like I said, people are drawn to goodness. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And you have given them that opportunity. Let's kind of unpack the work, because I think that you're doing some really amazing work, and it's multifaceted, and there's, there's a lot to it, and I think our community would really appreciate it. So my understanding is there's the medical, there's the educational, there's the nutritional care, and the foster care. Is that essentially how you group your work into those four columns? Yes, pretty much. We, um, you know, we call it the healing program because it has the medical component where we do surgeries. Like right now, we have five kids from Uganda and India having heart surgery this week. But there's also um, a specialized healing home piece in China where orphanages can call us when um, really sick babies are abandoned. And they might not be able to get that one-on-one care in an orphanage, so they know they can call us and we'll take those babies into our specialized homes. And like a perfect example would be just today, um, early this morning at four this morning, there was a premature baby found in China um, in critical condition. You can imagine how cold it is there in the winter. Um, And so very quickly, that orphanage was able to call us, and we were able to get that baby moved several hours away to a NICU. And after he recovers and and gets up to a good enough weight, he'll then come stay with us, most likely for about a year in our specialized healing home. So the healing program is basically whatever a vulnerable child needs to try and reach full health. And in every, in every country, that looks a little bit different. Hope and healing for orphaned and vulnerable children. <laughs> yes. And, yes. It, and, and it's interesting because, you know, I've worked, you know, on a lot of different nonprofit campaigns, and I've worked for several um, nonprofits. And oftentimes, our work is very specialized. We're working on one particular project in one particular area. You really are working across different different areas, different arenas, but also in different ways. So your your medical piece looks different in different countries or in different locations. Is that correct? Right, that's correct. So um, in Cambodia, there's you know after the the civil war that they had there in the seventies, um, there was only literally a few dozen physicians that were left alive after that civil war. So even their basic medical structure is quite limited. So in Cambodia, for the the medical piece, we do a lot of well-child care. You know, the simple things like dog bites, you know, half of the dogs in Cambodia have rabies. So just simply if a child gets bit by a dog, it can be life-saving if you can get immediate treatment. Um, In other areas, China has a very well-established medical system. And so we don't have to do that preventative, you know, 
primary care for a child, but there are so many things that orphan children have that the orphanage would never have the ability to fund, you know, like a heart surgery for a child. And so our piece is coming in and doing a lot of emergency medical care, like preemies, heart surgeries. We do a lot of cleft surgery work in China. Um, Uganda is very similar to Cambodia, that their medical system is so limited. Um, and so we we do a little bit of everything there. They only have eight pediatric surgeons in the entire country for millions of children. And so we actually just started a new project where we're going to fund a pediatric surgery fellowship in Uganda to train the next generation of surgeons, knowing that that would then make such a huge impact on the entire country. So so it's really, like I said, going into each location and figuring out what are the critical needs, you know, what do children need the most, and then tailoring a project to make the most impact in that location. Your organization must be very nimble, and you must wear a lot of different hats. <laughs> I do have a lot of different hats. So, um, but it's it comes back down to that volunteer piece because um, one of the things that was also very important to me as I looked at some other charity models was that there wasn't necessarily like long term follow up on children to make sure that the programs offered were really making a difference. And so it's always been very important to me that we actually know the children in our programs in the best way possible. So the reason we can do so many different projects is because those volunteers come in and oversee a set group of children. So say for our foster care program, which we do in every every country where we work, a volunteer would come to us and we would say, you know, these are your 10 children and you're going to follow them every month and help write their reports and get those out to donors. And so it's been a big comfort to me to know that I can wear all those hats, but we have all of these committed people who are really watching over each individual child. Um, and that's why it works. Now, we talked about how people do want to be a part of good work like this, but finding the right people on the ground, I, I would imagine, has its challenges. So how do you find these local organizations and partners to help facilitate your work? So it's, it's a whole mix of, of different ways, so just a lot of research. I'm, I'm I get up really early in the morning and <laughs> just continually am reading about what other charities are doing in different parts of the world. And what we're really looking for are, like I said, those those grassroots small efforts that maybe aren't being supported by foreign charities. And so it's a lot of word of mouth. Um, talking to other groups working in a country and seeing, you know, who's in different locations. We really work in locations where a lot of other groups don't want to work um, because it's they're hard places to, to live. And so like in India, our foster care program in India 
is so remote and rural that they didn't even have like a hotel when I went to visit. And so I feel like by going to some of those really, really remote and rural locations, we're finding the children who are truly non-served, you know, who haven't had a chance to get the services that maybe in some of the bigger locations have had. It's interesting to hear that some of these places that you're working are locations and communities that other nonprofits, for various reasons, just don't work in. So you're filling a need as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like one of the locations in Cambodia, um, it's a border town, a lot of casinos and crime and drug use. And a lot of charities start there because the need is enormous. So many street kids and so many um, child trafficking victims. And so a lot of NGOs start in that area, but it's a very, very difficult place to live. And so what we see a lot of are groups starting there for a year or two and then deciding they need to go to one of the bigger cities, even for their own staff because of having access to, say, medical care and, you know, restaurants and things like that. I understand completely. Um, But by partnering with local people who already live there, you know, that's how we can be in those locations. People are used to living there. They know the landscape. And, of course, the model that we've built – wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago. It's just that we have all of these amazing technologies now of, you know, Skype and video calls and that that we are in continual contact with each other um, every single day. And that takes me to your role. So you are the chief executive officer. Obviously, you're the founder So what's a day, a normal day look like for you? Obviously, you're waking up early and you're starting with a lot of research, (laughs) but then how does a day unfold? Yeah, and that's a really interesting part because with working in countries that cross the entire time zone (laughs) and in having volunteers everywhere from Australia to Europe, I could work 24-7, like literally, (laughs) because... You know, we have to set up conference calls across time zones. And so, you know, it is not uncommon to have to do like a 2 a.m. call or a 4 a.m. call. And bless my children, they just got very used to mom having very strange hours at times. So, (laughs) but, you know, I, I am on like my phone, computer, Skype, Um, most of the day, just having meetings and talking to different people, talking to donors and volunteers, getting opinions from doctors on medical children. And I think that's why, one of the reasons why I love my job so much is it's never the same thing twice. So like today I mentioned, we got the newborn in China who was abandoned in critical condition. There's a 17-year-old in Uganda that has cancer that that had to get to the hospital. We're working on drawing up plans for a new school in Cambodia. And so, you know, every day I get to work with such exciting projects to help children. It's, it's never the same thing twice. 
you know, I tell people I'm an outside of the box thinker and I like doing outside of the box jobs. You are as outside of the box as they get. You've created (laughs) this wonderful organization and doing so many amazing things. And for you, it almost sounds like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that your job is just super challenging, but super fun and exciting. Oh, it it is. And, you know, I, it's extremely difficult at times, of course, because we're working with really sick children a lot of the times. And I had read this great quote one time that said that when you work with hurting children, it would be like walking into a pool and thinking you weren't going to get wet, that it's going to take a toll on you emotionally, of course, because there's so much sadness. And so the beautiful side of, you know, the other side of that is that I get to work every day with people who truly care, who truly want to make the world a better place. And so like during COVID, I mean, this has been so hard on the whole world. And I know so many people have struggled with not being able to see family and and all of the bad news that we get every day. And we see that in our programs. But I also feel blessed that I get to work with people who every day show me how amazing people are and how caring and kind and you know, we we see that when we saw everyone going out on their balconies to cheer like the medical teams mm-hmm. that are out there fighting COVID. And I feel like when you're part of that, when you can be part of a community that really is supporting each other, then then that is just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, I always talk about the rewards that you get from doing service work. And I'm not talking about financial rewards, the kind of rewards that I'm talking about are the ones that you were just talking about, how it makes you feel and what it does for your heart and your soul. The work you've done, what has it really done for you as a person? How has it benefited you and how has it helped you in that way? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) When I think about it, what it's brought to my life is such a deep gratitude for the things that that I have in my life which allows me then to wake up each day saying thank you instead of, oh, if I only had this or that. And I continually add to that gratitude with each project we take on. And like an example of that would be taking a shower or turning on your tap, which is something that no one ever even thinks about. But then I got to go to a village in Uganda where the kids wake up before dawn every day and they have to walk miles down a steep mountain to get water. And I got to do that walk with them and see that toddlers were carrying those little yellow jerry cans because they're just taught that without water, there's no life. And that was such a profoundly impactful moment in my life to realize how many people around the world don't have access to water. So of course, then I come back to my house and still to this day, I flip on my water and it's like, oh my gosh. And I turn it off right away when I don't need it because I know how important water is. And the same, like, you know, my pantry every day I get to go open it and I find something that I can eat. And 
you know, we're working with with families right now during the pandemic who have been eating grass or who have no income and there's no milk. And so they're giving their babies water to drink to try and fill up their stomach. And so it's it's just this feeling of shifting my mind to things like I used to grumble about doing the dishes in my home. You know, it's like, oh, I have to do the dishes. But now I realize that in having to do dishes, it means that I fed my family. And that is just a completely different way to look at it. And everything from access to a doctor, my children having school to attend, these things that Americans, myself included, often take for granted, but in other parts of the world, you know, people would do anything to have those things. And probably the biggest one of all from my work with working with thousands of orphan children is giving thanks for family because I have held so many kids in my arms while they have cried over not having anyone who truly cares about them, you know, no mother, no father. And so I just feel like it's something that people take for granted is having a family. And now I just know it's it's completely a gift, whether or not they drive you crazy at times, <laughs> just to know there are millions of children around the world who would give anything to have one. So I just feel more than anything else, my work with LWB has taught me just real and sincere gratitude for the things that I have. That's wonderful. And it's so true. We as Americans, we're so blessed and so fortunate. We have so many opportunities and so many, um, for lack of a better word, things in America, right? So many things, so many advantages, and we oftentimes take those for granted. And it's really important to remember how fortunate we really are. And I appreciate that mindset, viewing life and taking each day and viewing it with gratitude and being thankful for the things we have. I think it's a great message. Is there, you know, you were kind of hitting on a few points there, and I don't want to um, make it seem as though there's some aspects of your work you don't favor as much as others, but is there any particular aspect <laughs> of your work that pulls on your heartstrings a little more than another? Oh, are you trying to get me in trouble with all of the volunteer teams? That I <laughs> I'm, I'm I surely have, not, but I am curious. Switzerland, I'm neutral. I'm completely neutral. So um, uh, it's very, very hard for me to to pick because, of course, it started with with saving the life of a child through heart surgery. And so, you know, every time a family or an orphanage comes to us with a child with a severe heart defect, um, there's something simply incredible about coming alongside them and making it possible for that child's life to be saved. But something like foster care, which gets such a, it does have such a bad reputation in our country when you hear of foster care, but when you have seen children in crowded orphanages, you know, just lying in metal cribs, knowing that you can take a child and put them into a caring family and watch that child bloom is like a feeling like nothing else. We had one orphanage that we worked with who had an 85% mortality rate, oh 85%. As fast as we would get the intake forms on the children, they would call like 
a week or 10 days later and say that the baby had died. And we instituted foster care in that orphanage, moving those children into uh, the local community uh, with a lot of grandmas whose kids were grown. And that first year, the mortality rate went down to 2%. And that was such a um, like eureka moment for me because when I would think about saving a child's life, of course, you always think about surgery. We're going to do this surgery and save a child's life. And I remember exactly where I was when it hit me that giving a child a family can save a child's life. So, you know, foster care is very important. But how do you not say that schools? I mean, seeing we have kids in some of these villages, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old who have never had a chance to go to school. And then when they learn to read, oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just it's just incredible. So, um, so yeah, I, Al, I can't answer that question. They're all wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're doing here. You're you're giving me a, like a politician's answer. You started yes, with one, exactly. eased into the second one, the third one. So you covered all your bases. I get it. Yes, exactly. Um, your impact. Let's talk about your impact. I was, you know, when I was researching your organization. And on your site, I saw some numbers that were eye-popping and so incredible. 80,000 children have been helped, 12,000 pediatric medical cases and evaluations, 287,000 meals served through your school program. That's 287,000. I mean, these numbers are staggering. Tell me about the impact. And obviously, it goes back to the earlier message of this army of volunteers helping make all of this work possible. Right, absolutely. And uh, I think that my team would would say that I'm, I'm a little crazy about the impact numbers because I won't count a child as an impact unless I know absolutely we impacted that child. Whereas, you know, if we do like a training or some sort of education um, facilitation, I think some charities would count that and say, oh, it touched so so many lives. I have a running list that I update that is, those are the children that we know for a fact we made a difference in their lives. And it's been wonderful to me that in the countries that we've helped kids become healed and then find a family through adoption, I get to hear from those kids and I just can't even tell you what it means to me. Um, one story that I could tell you that I want to cry every time I think about it was a little boy um, in China, and he had actually been abandoned right when I was there at the orphanage. He had just come in. And the grief that was on his face and just trying to process the fact that he had just lost his parents. And we were able to enroll him in our nutrition program and our school program inside of the orphanage. And each time I would go back, I would see him come out of his shell a little bit more. And then wonderfully, he ended up finding a family here in the U.S. And he is now at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Um, he's going to be a pilot. Oh. And I got a picture of him. He was standing. He was able to go train in France with a battalion there. And he was standing on the, the beaches of Normandy holding an American flag. And his mom sent it to me. And it, it's just... I. 
it's so overwhelming to know that, you know, complete strangers can come together to invest in a child and, you know, look where he's going to go. It's just incredible. So it's more than just the numbers, right? We look at these numbers. Oh, We're so yes. impressed by the numbers, but hearing the stories, knowing the real world accounts of these lives that have been impacted and how, in this young man's case, how his life was changed for the better in such a profound way. How often do you hear these stories? Is there a mechanism to chronicle them? Because these stories are so powerful. There, there is an LWB book, if anyone would want to read more. Um, it's called The Heart of an Orphan. And our board of directors kept saying, you know, Amy, you need to write the LWB story. And I kept saying, I don't want to write it if it has anything to do with me, but I will agree to write it if it can just be about the kids. And so I hope I've done that in the book. It's just, you know, story after story of each of our programs and how they began and the kids who really inspired those, those programs. And, you know, I, I've, think that it does hopefully a good job of showing what a difference people can make when they choose to get involved and in, in pour themselves into the life of a child. Okay, where can we get the book? <laughs> I want a copy. <laughs> it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. So I mean, there's a Kindle and a print version. So great. That's wonderful. The stories, it's, it's interesting because in my experience with nonprofit work, being able to to not only, as we mentioned, share the the numbers, the impact, but to be able to make that connection with the people who are truly benefiting from these programs. It really resonates with people and it's so important to share. So I think it's, I'm glad that they convinced you to write the book because we need to hear <laughs> these stories. It's so important. Well, and it is incredible, like over, over Christmas during the year-end campaign, you know, we got a gift of $100 from, from a girl and, and she wrote a note and she said, I was in an LWB program as a child. And she said, now I have my very first job. She's 18. And she said, I'm going to give a percentage of everything I make to give back because, you know, I was poured into and so that that is so amazing to me to think that, you know, we we did start 17, almost 18 years ago. The kids that we're helping are growing up and becoming adults themselves, and they're choosing to give back to Love Without Boundaries to make a difference to other children. Now, that's super inspiring. So the actual children who are the yes. beneficiaries are now part of the volunteer force, part of the donor base that are helping push the work forward. They're paying it forward in a lot Absolutely. of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of our volunteers who are writing children's reports every month um, were in our programs as children. So it's such a great way for people to, to give back. How else can our community support you and support the great work that you're doing through Love Without Boundaries? Oh, great. Well, we, you know, we, we love volunteers. Obviously, I've, I've mentioned that a few times. Um, so our website is lwbkids.org. And there's, there's lots of different ways to get involved. It, everything from you could have a birthday fundraiser, you know, to raise funds for a project, um, volunteer. We love having experts. I'm a firm believer that I 
know so little about so many topics that whenever we start something new, we're all I always reach out to to people who are an expert in that field. So whether it's writing preschool curriculum for one of our schools or reading echocardiograms for heart surgeries, you know, we try and plug people into where they feel like, you know, they could make a real difference. So we're always looking for experts who would want to contribute in some way. You are a visionary. You're a pioneer. You are the driving force behind this amazing organization doing such incredible work. But obviously, you also recognize that people can help and support and lend to your expertise and the knowledge base that you already have. You've done so much over the last 17, 18 years with this organization and made so many great uh, advancements. You've impacted many, many countless lives and made such a difference. What have you or what has the organization learned from this experience? I'd imagine there's always new things being learned. Uh, There's new challenges that need to be tackled. We're living in the COVID pandemic, so there's new challenges that you're facing with this. But is there anything in particular that you you all have learned that that was something that you didn't expect going into this? You know, you mentioned COVID, and I think that one of the things that's important for for any charity is you have to be able to pivot to the need. And so, you know, COVID hit, and a lot of our programs, um, you know, were closed, like the school programs had to stop for a while. But at the same time, these very, very poor rural communities, everyone lost their jobs. Same that we're seeing in America, where you have to then pivot to those most basic needs of getting food to people. And so, you know, our teams on the ground rolled up their sleeves and we've been delivering, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of food out to to children to make sure that they get the food that they need. And I think, you know, what I've learned is just to really listen, you know, listen to the community, listen to the people, really get to know one another. And I think that's, when I think about Love Without Boundaries, I think that we realize that when you really take the time to listen to the people you're wanting to help, which unfortunately, I think a lot of charities don't necessarily do that. They come in with a set idea of what needs to be done, but really listening to a community and saying, you know, what is it that, that you all need? And I, I love that we've been able to partner with, with incredible dreamers and world changers and rural locations and help them get aid to the children. Where do you see the organization in the future? Obviously, you're already doing some amazing work. <laughs> um, where do you see yourself down the road um, over the next, you know, several years, next decade? Right. And, th- and this is a, something that we talk about all the time because, you know, there, there is a saying, and you've probably heard it too, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. They say that to businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not growing, you know, then you're not, you're not doing something right. And so we talk about that a lot because I do want LWB to grow. I want to reach even more children. I want to, you know, expand into other countries. But at the same time, it's, so important to me that we we retain that grassroots feeling that allows us to listen and to get to know the kids, each individual child, because you're so right when you said it's not about the numbers. It's not about the numbers for me, but it's about the outcomes. 
And so I hope we can take our successful programs and, and expand to other countries and keep searching for new locations where kids need someone to believe in them. Because it's it's just incredible when you pull together the local people on the ground, volunteers around the world, and then donors who really want to feel a part of changing lives, just extraordinary things happen. And do you have a parting message for our community? Well, I think that in the work that I've been able to do and and having the honor to be able to visit so many different locations around the world, you know, a lot of times the news and the media like to make it seem like we're all so different and separated and that there are these, you know, hard borders between countries and we're all so different. But I believe we have a common center in our souls that we all want to feel loved and accepted and that our lives have meaning. And what I've learned is that the common link for all of those things is that they only come about through connection. And I know it sounds so simple, but the reality is we need each other. And I always think like, what would life be like if we could remember that simple message each day? Because I think that people would be kinder and more patient with one another and that we'd be more present with those around us and and realize that the world really can be a better place when we simply show up for each other. I hope that that's the message that we're getting to as many children as we can, that they're not on their own, that a whole bunch of people care about them. And, you know, I've seen firsthand the changes that occur when a child finally believes they're loved. And so that that would be my final thought is just simply that we need each other and life can be truly beautiful when shared. Well, this is Difference Makers, and you, Amy, are a real difference maker. Thank you so much for sharing your story with our community, and thank you for making a difference through your incredible work. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been an honor. On behalf of Difference Makers Global Community, I want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, visit differencemakers.org. There you'll find a dedicated page for each of our Difference Makers and a link to their charity's website, where you can learn more about their inspiring work and support the mission. And for our readers out there, I have two books that I wrote that I'd love for you to check out, Crossing America for a Cure and Running the Coast for a Cure. These books chronicle charity adventures I did in honor of my niece, Jenna, who was born with a rare neurological disorder called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Both books can be purchased on Amazon.com, and all profits from book sales are donated to Sturge-Weber Research. Thanks again for listening, and remember, in each of us is the power to make a difference.